The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of GDIY, Gun Dog It Yourself. This is Nick coming at you with Austin, the Bird Dog and UT fan. Austin, what's going on? What's up, guys? So uh, we're here today. We're going to talk about a, a number of things, but mainly we want to cover the uh, first topic that should come to everybody's mind when they uh, first consider getting a dog, and that is what do you do when you decide that you want a dog? What's the process, and where do you go from there? Got a lot of info coming your way. This is a this is a pivotal point in every dog's career, right here. This is where you set them up for success. But yeah, I mean, if you don't go about it the right way, picking the right breed, the right breeder, the right dog, and everything, you you can uh, have ten to fifteen years of just banging your head against the wall. So uh, we we just kind of want to cover some of the basic topics and basic advice some of the mistakes that we've made other people have made stuff that we know about and hopefully help guide some people that are just starting to get into this into uh, making some good decisions right off the bat but uh first Austin, what do you what have you been up to what do you got going this week with your with your pups still doing a little force fetch uh with the pup um had a good session tonight we uh trying to keep a little trying to keep the sessions a little shorter now keep him a little more interested uh but everything's going good starting to move the objects down the table and he's advancing and picking them up and bringing them back and i think he's associated everything like he he should so i'm pretty uh pretty happy about the progress that's being made so far hopefully it keeps on uh going great yeah guys for those of you that have never had the enjoyment and pleasure of doing a force fetch program it's uh it's grinding i guess is the best way to describe it it's it's not the most fun thing to do i know uh, i just got done with lucy not too long ago with it but it's to do it right you're setting yourself up in the long run for having a good dependable clean retriever but if you try and skip steps you're going to be kicking yourself when you when you need that dog and you're depending on that dog to knock out a retrieve it's you're gonna be like oh man I, I really shouldn't have skipped that step or rushed that step and also I know you you've been having a lot of enjoyment these past few weeks and you're probably ready to pull your hair off hair well, out and get out of the get off the table yeah what's funny about it is you know every dog's different this is only going to be the second dog that I've force fetched and uh my first one was totally different than than this one, and and we'll get into uh, you know the process that that or processes that we've used for force fetch. So I won't get into detail on that, but it's been a uh, definite learning process. Again, uh, Cash has definitely acted different than than Scout did, and so I've been having to change up some things, uh, trying to trying to keep things a little. Uh, 
just more, I don't want to say structured, but something to where, you know, we don't have a long drawn out uh, session. I'm trying to keep these sessions between uh, six to eight minutes now. And so uh, we're doing real short, real short sessions. And as soon as I see that he's accomplished what we want to accomplish, then we, we kind of just quit. Yeah. So what about you, Nick? What you got going on, man? Oh, still trying to decide if I'm going to run Lucy in the, in the utility test with NAVDA. I still can't make up my mind a hundred percent. You know, we went out Saturday, uh, did, did the field work and did some duck searches. And before we went out there, I just had in my head that the field work was going to be what we needed most of the work on and duck search he was you know kind of looking like a natural and then that uh that wasn't really going to be the deciding factor then we get out there and she nails the field work and then just completely just cluster f's the duck search and so we're i'm i'm trying to decide on that i took her out tonight tonight at the uh, dog trial grounds and did some searches with her. She did all right. Uh, still getting used to the resend without the shot. And uh, so did a few with her and then got Rachel out and just pretty much kept her conditioning and then stopped on the way out, met a couple retriever guys and watched them run a few Boykins and labs out there. That was kind of neat. Hadn't, hadn't seen too many Boykins in action. You mentioned you ran Rachel. I should mention I also threw Scout back up on the table tonight just to <laughs> Let him get a refresher after I put cash up there. I, I kind of, for whatever reason, this may sound kind of crazy, but I like letting cash watch somebody that knows what they're doing up on the table <laughs> after he does it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the dogs can definitely learn from older dogs, but you you have to keep it separate and let let the younger dog, you know, develop their own personality and getting getting used to working by themselves. But it can be a good trick to just kind of bring that competitiveness out in them and plus scout can always use some refreshers on retreats (laughs) so uh well scout is the perfect example of a dog that did not want to retrieve and this kind of goes in with our episode today you know doing your research on the pedigree and the type of lines before you get the dog to begin with uh, he definitely did not come from a line that, you know, had natural retrieve in him. You, what little retrieve desire he has in it, you brought that out in him with the table, which is a testament to why you do the the program and, you know, how it pays off because, you know, you, you prize in utility with NAVDA with a dog that did not have any natural retrieving drive. So, I mean, he he did when he was a pub. And then once he decided that there were birds out in the field, you know, honestly, guys, this is what would happen. He would go point a bird for me. We would shoot that bird. He would run over to it after it was shot, sniff it, and say, okay, here it is. I'm going to go find the the next one. And so it was – this dog likes to run, and, uh, you know, it's, well, well, it's you his said first priority. You said as a puppy he had a retriever drive. Now, if you think back, did he have a retriever drive or did he have a chase drive when you threw it and he wanted to go catch it? I think, I mean, he was retrieving a little bit. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he had the drive that my current pups got, you know, uh, now to to retrieve because that's an absolute misstatement. I mean, he's there is no comparison. Uh, but, you know, it it took a lot of effort to get him to be where he is, and by no means is he – uh, you know, uh, clean. Sh- yeah, sure. Fire on everything. I was thinking, you know, actually, when everything finally clicked for him, and and um, I was thinking about that on the way over here because oh, I don't know why I do this either, but I record all my force fetch sessions, <laughs> and I like to watch those things. And thinking back about some of the issues and everything, and and you know. I was obsessed. The whole reason that I ended up getting a short hair is because I had these, I had setters growing up and they didn't retrieve anything. And so I got a short hair because I, I their reputation was is that they were a good all around, you know, hunting dog that can point and retrieve good, you know, sufficiently. And so I uh I was bound and determined to get him to where he was gonna retrieve great. And long story short, I can tell you the day that he started retrieving on a consistent basis and everything came together in the field 
with him balancing his drive and getting the cooperation and everything down. It was January 1st, 2018. <laughs> he has not dropped a bird in an upland scenario, an upland bird on the retrieve, or refused any retrieve since that day. Um, we have had a couple of duck drops every once in a while that we're, we're working on, but uh, but it's been since then. But, yeah, but no. e- even with that being said, you duck hunted the hell out of him last season. Oh, yeah. And he, he actually even showed up a bunch of the natural retrievers, your labs and – chessies and stuff that were sharing a blind with him oh mainly because he had that independent search but he also had the obedience that the table brought out of him that you could send him out there and he was able to recover ducks at the the uh more obedient labs uh that take hand signals and and handling he was able to find those ducks because he had that independent search. Yeah, no, I'm confident when I send that dog that there's going to be a recovery. Yeah, you know, and a retrieved a hand. I mean, you know, I, that's I'm I'm confident in that. But so. I mean, that that just goes to show. I mean, there there is definitely a difference in in how people go about with these dogs, even in a duck blind. You know, your natural retrievers. Yes, it's fantastic to be able to handle your dog to a specific location. But say you, you know, you crip a duck and it, it dives on you or glides off into some cover and you don't know exactly where that dog is. How many times have we been with somebody that, you know, they'll handle their dog into a specific area, but then the dog's looking at them like, where do I go next? Right. And so, you know, that is one benefit that we have in NAVDA is, you know, we have the duck search that the dog does an independent search. And so when they get in that area to where you don't know where it is, they'll search it out on just their natural desire and searching ability to find that duck. And you don't have to sit there and, you know, guide them to an exact, you know, nickel in the field. That's right. That's, that's, uh, at least what I like about this process on, on these versatile dogs, the less handling, you know, the better really, as long as they can. Well, th- there's pros and cons and, to and it. Cause it. we've also been in the situations where a little handling would come in handy to where we, we w- at least would like to be able to guide them into the area that the uh, ducks were at. Yeah. You know, they'll get there eventually after they cross off and, you know, process of elimination, the rest of the lake. But sometimes you, you want them to go straight and they a little just quicker. Yeah. Getting they, to the spot. Yeah. But, uh, it's pros and cons and stuff like that. That's, you know, what we'll talk about in future episodes because there's, uh, you know, that kind of goes in what we're talking about today and what type of hunting you like to do and picking the right dog and style that, you know, is going to best fit what you need and what you want. Yeah, that's right. So let's let's kind of jump into that. You know, the the first question is, why do you want a dog? Are, are you wanting a a hunting dog uh or more of a companion house dog you know of course this is about uh gun dogs here so we're hoping that your answer is that you want a hunting dog um you know and we also want to know what type of hunting you need to consider what type of hunting you're going to be doing well first before we even get to that there's a very important question that every single person considering getting a dog has to ask themselves it is, I mean, not everybody asks them, asks themselves this question, and even less people that ask the question are honest with themselves. Do you want to just have a dog, or do you want to live the lifestyle that's required to have the hunting dog? Yeah. And, and what we mean by that is anybody can go out and buy a dog. You know, you can go out and buy a hunting breed. But if you don't actually want to put in the time and effort to train that dog, you're not going to have a finished hunting dog. You know, that we know a bunch of people out there that they, hey, I enjoy this. I enjoy hunting. But they just want, they enjoy the appearance almost of owning a dog and, and the possibilities of possibly being able to hunt with the dog. But, you know, when it comes time to train, they're not there. Yeah, it's a, it is truly a lifestyle If this is going to be something that, you know, you, you want, uh, to really excel in. And if, 
you're like me, you take your hobbies seriously. I've heard this on another podcast somewhere, but no one likes to suck at their own hobby, right? So <laughs> I don't like spending money at hobbies that I'm not good at. That's why I don't golf. And, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that if you're wanting to excel in this, you have got to have the personal time commitment. You have to be honest with yourself. It's like what I tell everybody. Yes, it's a time commitment, but it's not as big of a time commitment as what people make it out to be. I mean, if you can sacrifice 10 to 15 minutes a day, that sweet spot's 18 minutes. 18. <laughs> 18. Well, if you can sa- sacrifice, let's just call it 15 minutes a day. And it doesn't even have to be every other day. If you can do more days in the week than not. So if you can do 15 minutes a day, four days a week, you have enough time to where you can train a dog. That's right. And you don't have to have a, a huge area to do that either. No. You don't have to have the pigeon coops. You don't have to have live live birds. Now, granted, that makes it a lot easier. And, you know, when if you get hooked on it, you're going to try and figure out a way to get, get more bird access. But, no, it's you don't need a giant area, especially for the first, you know, half year to even maybe a full year of the dog. I mean, you, you really don't need a huge plantation or farm or pigeon coops or – quail coops or anything like that to have a good reliable dog that you can take hunting with you and enjoy yeah that's right i think that we know plenty of people who don't have you know a a big area that they may even live in a uh, town home or (laughs) you know some other smaller uh setup that that have dogs that they can go out and at least work and uh and do fine yeah well, and I mean, that's what the hunting groups are for, you know, whether, whether you're in AKC or, or NAVDA or NASTRA, any of those shoot to retrieve circuits, any circuit to where you're going to find guys, you know, your age, same, same interest to where y'all can develop a training, you know, routine and a training group. You, you guys can make it out to where y'all go out once a month or, you know, once every couple of weeks and just split some birds or, or whatever and make a good, reliable dog. And you're going to be doing yard work though, in between the once and a, a yeah, month. Yeah. But that, that's sessions. the 15 minutes yeah. a day. And that, that's, that's, your... that's what we'll get into. Uh, that's actually kind of goes into next, next week's episode. But, uh, yeah. So once you ask yourself the question, if you're actually truly dedicated and you really want this, then, uh, then, Next thing is, you know, picking out your dog, figuring out where you want to go from there. What breed? Exactly. I mean, the next big question is what breed? And there's a bunch of questions that goes into picking the breed. And first of which is, what are your goals and expectations? What type of hunting are you going to be doing? Are you are you wanting to do upland? Are you wanting to do waterfowl? Are you wanting to do both? Or blood tracking? or rabbits, what, whatever it is, there are breeds out there that are bred and have the natural makeup to do those types of hunting. And if you don't pick the right breed and, you know, you might be just shooting yourself in the foot and making your life a lot harder than what it has to be, you know, if you don't pick the right breed. Right. So obviously I think you're going to know the general type of dog that you want. You know, I mean, when I... When I was making the decision to get a short hair, uh, I knew that I wanted a bird dog, right? And so, obviously, that limits your your potential breeds down to bird dog breeds. And then you get into the versatile breeds uh, that ultimately I ended up going with. But, you know, you have other varieties. I mean, the most pointy dogs are considered versatile breed dogs, Um but most, you have a couple specialists like your English pointer or just pointer yeah, now. And even an English pointer is still a NAVDA it versatile is. breed. But I mean, you know how rare that is yeah. to come across a, a pointer in, uh, in one of the versatile games. But, you know, the, the deal with this is, is that you have to decide, you know, what type of, uh, what characteristics you're looking for in that dog. Because 
generally speaking, each type or each breed, they are going to have different characteristics, you know, and, and for me, you know, when I was making my considerations, I wanted a, I honestly wanted just a, a, a big running, hard pointing, you know, staunch pointer, you know? And so, so yeah, all, all some pretty much, I think we both kind of got sold on just the romanticism and the tradition of a pointing dog, just that sexy dog on point, just, you know, hauling ass through the field and then just slamming on the brakes and turning inside out on, on the bird. I mean, once you see a good pointing dog, you know, I don't care who you are. If if you have any interest whatsoever in hunting, that's going to do something to you. I, mean, I don't care who you are. It, it, does, you. it does not matter. <laughs> it, it, I don't care who you are right there. That's, you know, that's going to turn something on, some kind of switch. So, you know, if, if you're only going to duck hunt, and you know this, that you don't have any interest whatsoever in upland, then obviously, you know, you have your typical retriever breeds. You have your labs, your goldens, your even your standard poodles. I mean, I've seen some really good standard poodles that are that are retrievers. You know, there, there's a number of retriever breeds that that's what they specialize in. And depending on which one you pick out of that, you even have some flushing style dogs. So you can even get a versatile style. They're not in the NAVDA versatile lines that uh, do both. They, they, they're they called flushing dogs. Labs are flushers. So instead of pointing, you know, they're going to stay closer to you in the field. And when they smell b- birds and they get birdie, they're always within gun range of you so that they crash in and they jump the bird and you shoot it and they go retrieve it. So you can get a multiple dog that specializes more in waterfowl and does the occasional upland hunt as opposed to vice versa to where, you know, you might have our dogs that, you know, mainly upland and then do waterfowl on the side. Yeah. So that's the first question you got to ask is what breed. Here's some advice that I would give about, how to choose that breed. I already mentioned, you know, think about what characteristics you want in a dog. Generally speaking, you know, a short hair will act a certain way. A musterlander will act a certain way. Uh, uh, a Spinoni will act a certain way. So that's generally speaking, you know, you can kind of narrow it down into what breed by those general characteristics that you want. But I'll tell you what you really need to do is go out to a training organization or some type of hunt test organization, field trial organization, watch these dogs, figure out, you know, how they work. You can see, uh, you, hopefully you'll get to see a variety of dogs and that can really help you determine exactly if you're, if your thoughts match up with what the product is that's out in the field. And, uh, with that being said, if you have a breed in mind and you go out to one of these training grounds and you just see one of those breeds, do not make your decision on that one dog. You want to see multiple dogs. Yeah. You, you know, anybody can, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken shit with with a bad dog and vice versa. How many people have we seen that can really, I mean, they, it's impressive how they can just ruin a dog. And so, you know, you don't want to get a bad impression of a good breed or vice versa just by looking at one dog. And, but that, that is good to where you go out there, you can see multiple different breeds out there in action and kind of see what they're coming from. But also, you know, not just the field. I mean, I know that's what we've been mainly talking about and that's what we're passionate about, but you have to decide if you're looking at also having a companion you know, that dog's going to be living inside the house with you. There are other, there are breeds that get better in the house than others. Yes. I can guarantee (laughs) you there are breeds that are better than a German short hair in the house. But even with the German short hair, you can find lines, specific lines that get, that do better in the house. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, if you can't tell guys that, you know, Austin has that tone <laughs> that, uh, he's got two, two crazy short hairs in the house with him. They're getting better. It takes time. Yeah. They're getting better. Hey, you know, just when you get one calm down, you throw a puppy in the mix and it, and it finally, 
you know, it just revamps the whole thing. But no, they're getting better. It's just part of it. But yeah, that's another, that's obviously something you need to, to think about. Our dogs live in the house. Um, you know, that's, I think, kind of the trend now with these dogs is that a lot of these yeah. dogs are house dogs now. Uh, you know, growing up, we had dogs that slept in the kennel outside, never stayed in the house, uh, inside our house at all. In the later years, one of the dogs stayed in the garage quite a bit. But, you know, if you're really wanting a dog that's, that's got that off switch, I can, I can tell you, you know, there are breeds that are out there that are known for their off switch in the house. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something that you're going to want to think about. Um, these high drive pointers or German short hairs and uh, typically setters are okay in the house. Joe, our producer over here, he's got a heck of a setter that's uh, a big, uh, uh, he, he, he just chills. He hangs out in the house. Isn't that right? Yeah. I've seen him cuddle up in a sleeping bag too and just hang out in that. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, and it's, it depends on the personality of the, of the owner, honestly, because, you know, that the off switch in the house was a huge, huge part in my decision-making as a dog owner, uh, mine and my wife's. You know, my wife didn't want to have a 100-mile-an-hour dog inside the house bouncing off the walls either. But you, I, I remember specifically when you're looking at your puppy, you're like, man, I love crazy. Yeah. I love crazy. I love hectic. And I'm like, hey, more power to you. When I'm not I, doing it. When <laughs> I, when I, this is just how I am, guys. When I was picking out, my pup from this newest litter, I was just like, guys, I want the craziest one in the in the bunch. Glutton you know? for punishment. I want it. Yeah. Let's see what let's see what you got. You got the crazy humping machine scout now. He's not. He doesn't hump anymore. But uh, he uh-huh. did have a humping problem. <laughs> yeah. He he calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. If y'all missed the first episode, he's turning three in September, so he's he's getting a little more mellow. He's still. He's yeah. starting to calm down, but now you got got old Cashman bouncing off the walls, yelling at everything now. But on the other hand, you know, so I've got these dogs that, uh, you know, they're not calm all the time in the house. No. Right? But Nick has a short hair that is more calm in the house. She is, of course, a little older, but I think from scratch, from the beginning, yeah. you know, she had a, a different demeanor. Yeah. She is not your typical short hair at all. She's on the smaller side. She's around 35 pounds, so she's on the smaller side. She's needier than other dogs, but I also kind of think that's why she's calmer in the house instead of just going ape shit, bouncing off the walls. She just, you know, wants to be loved on. And so, you know, you give her a little attention, and, you know, she'll go chill in the bed. Uh, go go chew on a bone, whatever. And uh, also that that went into my next dog with the small Munsterlander. You know, she's she's a little firecracker, a little pocket rocket in the field. But you go in the house, and there's a little more control. And uh, they're still bird dogs. Don't get me wrong. I mean, my mom, she when she comes to visit, she's just like, "Good God, when do you turn it on?" I'm like, "Mom, you don't even know. I need to take you over to a couple buddies' house with some more bird dogs. You'll be <laughs> one to come home and play with mine." But uh. Now it, it is it is an important decision that if you're going to be living in the house with them is finding a dog that you know that works for you and your lifestyle uh, size and shedding all, all that stuff goes into play with that. But vice versa, if you're if you're having the dog outside, you need to pick the right coat for the weather that's going to be outside. You know, it's if you're wanting a hunt, hunting machine, that's great. But you know, you don't need a short hair up in you know the middle of North Dakota when they get you know two feet of snow in the winter no no and, and you know of course labs they're the most popular breed in america for a reason i mean yeah. the, i i can tell you that there are i mean how many people we know a ton of people that have labs that live in the house that are just i mean they're mellow for the yeah. most part i mean you can get a high drive lab well it, you can and it go, goes into you know if you any of these working dogs they have to have a purpose it, even if you don't hunt the dog, which oh, yeah. most of the people listening to this, you know, they're going to be wanting to hunt their dog. But the people that complain, oh, I got this lab, it chews nonstop. It chewed up this, it chewed up that. That's because you don't do anything with the dog. 
If you if you just took it out and gave it a purpose, run it, it run it, give it some kind of stimulus, not just physical, but that's your job as the owner. Yes, that, as a responsible owner, that is your job before you decided to get a dog. And it's these people that you know. Oh, I got this dog. It's chewing on everything. It's driving me crazy. And then put it on Craigslist two weeks later. And then I want to rehome it. I just need a good home here. You know, I'll take two thousand dollars for the dog. Like number one, you're an ass. No, <laughs> number two, like just run the dog. It's not rocket science to know what you're getting yourself into when you get a lab puppy. It's just not. Yeah. And so if you do your homework and you know what you're getting into with these breeds, you kind of know what to go with. You know, the, the hound guys coming from somebody that had a coon hound, great dog. I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, my red bone is, he's the epitome of a lazy hound dog now. Granted, he's old as crap, but you know, even when he was younger, I had very good control over him, but you have to understand that a hound dog is not going to be obedient like a lab because what do hounds do? They follow their nose. When they catch a scent that interests them, they're they're going one way, and getting through their skull is it's it can be difficult sometimes. They're known for cooperation, right? Oh yeah, very biddable, very <laughs> biddable. No, they're so, great. They're great dogs, but yeah. So I think you guys get the point. Is you you need to ask yourself if you're serious about it what you want the dog to do and have the goals because if you pick the wrong breed for the wrong for the wrong goals you're you're just shooting yourself in the foot and you know just be responsible about it don't get don't get a race car when you know you really need a you know cart and buggy yeah so let's talk about um, picking a breeder uh, and really figuring out the specifics of, of what you're going for, you yeah. know, um, after you figure out what breed you want, uh, you know, most of the time, that's the first thing you figure out is the breed. Then you'll go find the breeder. You'll hear other people tell you, Hey, if you're not real concerned about the breed, find a breeder you like and, and start there and, and, you know, find somebody that you think you can work with, whatever type of dog they have, get one from them and, and let them work with you, you know, and, and helping raise that pup. Uh, but if we're doing the traditional thing where we're trying to figure out what type of breed, that's what you choose first. Then we're going to go to the breeder and here's what I've done. Okay. And I can tell you, I've, I've gone on two ends of the spectrum here. You know, when I first started this and, and started getting into, uh, picking, you know, which breeder I was going with, we live right outside Nashville. There are not many short hairs in Tennessee and me thinking, you know, that, Alabama's far drive. I, that's where I kind of limited my, my search to. It was, it was something where I was thinking, okay, I'm going to keep something between, you know, a three to four hour drive from Nashville. And honestly, that limits your quality of dog, you know, and I wasn't real concerned on that. I wanted to make sure that I had a, a good hunting dog, but really my selection came off of color. <laughs> my wife and I, we sat down and we were like, we want a dog that looks like that. So, you know, this no is shame, something guys. to learn from guys. No shame, guys. This is what I did. I went around and searched for kennels that had, you know, hunting stock uh, and went around and, and found one that uh, basically had the liver roan that I wanted. And, yeah. and that's what I got. And I can tell you, I feel like I lucked out with that. You know, uh, I, I, I feel like scout is, is a good, uh, he's a hunting machine, uh, for me. And so it, it, it worked out, but there are, I know of just with short hair situations alone, I can tell you at least, uh, six or seven situations, maybe more where those types of, uh, puppy purchases have not worked out and, you know, you end up with dogs that are, that you honestly, it's just tough to hunt with them. You know? Well, I mean, you know, it's one of those things, color goes into the, the you can't place. have an ugly dog. 
Well, I mean, life's too short to hunt behind a right. dog. Well, right. except for, and I know I'm going to catch some slack from this, the you know the people that hunt behind wire hair pointing griffons. But they take pride. They in take having pride ugly dogs. in ugly dogs. They they excel in it. It's like the people that own pugs and bulldogs. It's like, hey, my, you know, they're so ugly that they're cool looking. But yeah, life is too ugly to hunt behind an ugly dog, and it comes in the equation. But it is definitely not not up on the priority scale as far as that but so when you're picking a breeder really the first thing you have to ask yourself is what level dog do you want are you wanting to start from scratch with a puppy or do you want to start a dog or do you want to finish dog that's a good point yeah you know when i when i first started looking for rachel i knew i wanted a short hair at the time that you know before I was in this world, I thought, oh, short hairs, you know, you don't see too many of them. They're rare. And then you get into the world, they're the labs of the pointing world. But I just started looking around and I, I was trying to find the line of short hairs that would fit, you know, mine and Pam's lifestyle. And we uh, we came across Morrow High Kennels up in West Virginia. And we went up there, saw the lines, which, you know, we're going to touch more on that about visiting your breeders. But we went up there and stayed a couple days, saw the different dogs in action and, you know, who he was planning on breeding. And I got on the wait list with the puppy. And then he called me back a couple months later and said, hey, you know, I, I know that you're wanting a puppy, but you're getting, you know, just now getting into this. I have this fantastic dog. She started. She has a hunting season under her belt. She pretty much just knows the basics but already has good hunting experience, you can probably learn more from this dog than what you could teach a puppy at this point. And uh, so we thought about it, and I'm like, you know, he's, he's right. And, you know, he gave me a good deal on a great dog that I had already seen in person, so I knew what I was getting. And so we just went ahead and pulled the trigger, and I'm, I wouldn't go back and change that. I mean, would it have been cool to have a puppy? Absolutely. Everybody loves puppies, you know at least for the first week and then they're tired of housebreaking them but you know that started dog it just kind of got me into the world quicker and with my first gun dog that I was training the mistakes I made were not as big a deal because she had a solid foundation yeah, with her it wasn't gonna screw her up it wasn't know? and then you know e even more to that if if somebody wants to spend the money with the finished dog you already have that finished dog yeah now there's cons to that you know you don't have the relationship with the dog you don't know 100 percent. you know how it was trained how it was trained you don't know the decision process with that dog every dog learns in a different manner and you know it's not accustomed to your routine and lifestyle so you know there, there are pros and cons to each one of these and you know obviously the more experienced dog you get the more you know, the more money it's going to cost too, because these guys aren't going to invest that time and energy in training these dogs and try and sell it to you for the same price as the puppy. Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking though, these dogs are adaptable. I mean, even if you do end up getting a, a finished dog, I think that, you know, it, it can adapt to you, your lifestyle pretty quick. But the biggest thing is, is what Nick hit on. It's, it's, it's what you hit on. It's, you don't know how it was trained. You yeah. know, if you run into a snag, you run into a situation and you don't know how it was originally approached. It, if it, you don't even know how the dog was introduced to something and you're hitting a snag, you know, I'll, you know, I, I knew what I was getting with Rachel, but some of these guys get an older dog, you know, a year or two, and they're like, man, my dog hates water. It just doesn't want to swim. You know, it, or guns. Let's go with the gun analogy. You know, oh, my dog, you know, it's kind of timid around gunshots. But, you know, they the guy told me that she hunted. Well, you don't know how the dog was introduced to gunfire. You know, it could have been done the old school way to where people bang pots and pans over them while they eat dog food. And the dog just doesn't like gunfire. You, you have no idea what the process was. And so it's harder to kind of figure out how to go about fixing that because a, a dog is not born gun shy. It is made gun shy. And, you know, I think that's the difference in how people look at these dogs as opposed to, you know, even 10 or 20 years ago is they're realizing that, you know, the dog doesn't come out of the mom, you know, hating gunfire. It's all on how you introduce the dog. And we'll it may be a little more 
sensitive and you might oh yeah have to, i mean yeah but you some some you can literally you know take out to a gun range with unit not phase them but others you know you you have to build up slowly and uh right you know we'll talk about that more later but that's something to consider there's pros and cons to to every level of dog that you're considering getting whether it's a puppy started or finished but that is a question that you may want to ask yourself yeah and then i guess going to the other end of the spectrum like uh going back to what i was talking about you know from picking based on uh, you know a hunting stock and, and color on my first breed to really figuring out that i love the nafta game and figuring out that that's what i wanted to play and saying i want to get a nafta line dog uh for my next short hair and uh really researching and figuring out what the best kennels were uh, and just taking advice honestly that i i'd heard from other folks about you know how to go about researching that i just literally went on the navda website and uh went to versatile champions and and just saw uh who was producing what and just contacted them and talked to those breeders and then went from there and and took their suggestions and i ended up um getting getting cash from from a different you know style different line of dogs so where scout comes from a field trial line uh and he's a big running dog you know he he definitely is a lot more rangy uh and covers ground differently than cash he's full of piss and vinegar oh yeah all the time uh but he finds birds you know that's the thing i mean it's well well it's, bottom line i mean that that goes into i mean to sum it up it's does the bloodline of that kennel and breeder match with what you're wanting right and that that's that's my point here is that you figure this stuff out. If you do enough homework, you'll figure out exactly what you're wanting to get into. And, um, you know, if you are wanting to play the NAFTA game or wanting to do the AKC field trials or wanting to do shoot-to-retrieve trials, go and get a dog from those lines. That's going to get you a – at least should get you a head start on what you're looking for and on paper provide you what should be a foundation to start from, some building blocks. Well, you know, it's like the experience guys will tell you, you know, figure out the hunting that you want to do and then find the breeder that does the exact same type of hunting. And the same thing could be the same for the testing like you did with NAVDA is, you know, I want to test in this. Find somebody that does that same exact testing and they know what they're looking for and what they're passionate about. And you know, hey, this guy's breeding this type of dog. He's competing and or hunting with this same exact type of thing that I'm wanting to do. If I'm wanting to grouse hunt in Maine, you know, not to say that you can't get a good grouse dog out of an English pointer line in, you know, New Mexico, but why why would you do that when you can just go to somebody that hunts grouse in Maine and find a dog out of that line? Yeah, man, get one from him. Yeah, you know, the, it, it would just make your life easier. But, you know, the next thing I guess we need to talk about is the budget. You know, these dogs, they cost money. Especially if you go get a Munstie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's one of those things people, they'll get scared off the price. You know, you, you especially depending on the breed. If you're looking at a Lab or German Shorthair, it's hard when you're sitting here looking at all these quality kennels and lines and you see these $1,000, $1,500, dollars price tags for a puppy. And then you just look at Craigslist <laughs> and you see three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars. <laughs> and it's one of those things, you know, yeah, you might be able to make a hunting dog out of that. And, you know, we we all know somebody that has made a good hunting dog out of that. But, you know, spending the extra money doesn't guarantee that you get a good hunting dog. What it does is it gives you a better starting point and better odds. So if you do your research and you look at the pedigree line and you do your homework, then you're at a better starting point of knowing what you're getting. And honestly, the investment of the puppy up front, when you're looking at over time, it's it's minuscule when you're considering the time and energy and effort that it takes to train these dogs. And, you know, the vet bills and the dog food, that all stays the same, but... 
But if you get a dog that you have to spend, you know, three times as much money on to train and get opportunities, you know, you're to me, it's a wash. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to mention is, um, when you're picking these dogs, you know, you're, you're picking the breed, then the breeder, and then we're going to probably get into, you know, the litter, you know, picking when you finally get to, all right, I'm going to go with this type of dog. Now I want to figure out exactly where that dog, what, even if you pick a breeder, you're going to figure out which pairing you want. Okay. Obviously guys, you want to know everything about that, that the whole line, including their faults. Okay. And that can get into things about, you know, whether there is, uh, uh, any type of health issues, you know, any type of excessive barking, any type of, you know, just any negative. You want to know those things. The humping. Yeah. Behavioral things like that. The, You know, one thing when I talk to all these kennels, because I talked to a lot of kennels when I was first starting out, I would ask each breeder, what are you working on in your line? And you can always tell the honest breeders from the people that are, you know, just trying to sell you some snake oil. Because the snake oil salesman will flat out say, oh, my dog's great. It'll do anything that it can. The honest breeders will say, oh, yeah, they're great at this. But these past few litters, I've been pairing these dogs up to try and bring out, pick a thing, you know, more intense pointing, water work retrieving tracking whatever every kennel that you know breeder that really cares about what they're doing and and they're trying to make the breed better has a specific goal that they're trying to bring in their certain line and the first you know if they tell you oh they're just they're just fantastic there's nothing wrong with my litter you know you you might want to start looking elsewhere because you know, not to say that, you know, they, they may feel that way. Everybody loves their dogs. They wouldn't be breeding it, breeding them if they weren't. But I would just say, you know, not to say that they have bad dogs, but you can find a more honest breeder and know exactly what you're getting into, especially when you're talking about spending, you know, a a grand or two. And that breeder is going to be a better long-term solution because if you run into an issue with that dog, you can call that that breeder and say, Hey, look, I'm running into a training issue. Have you had this come up with any of your prior, you know, dogs in this line? And we have both done that. Yes. And though that breeder can tell you, yes, here is what I did to fix that issue. Or here is how, here is how I addressed, you know, uh, this situation. So that, that's one of the things. So here's, I think the original question that you were talking about was, you know, budget, you know, that's something we need to address. This is what I'll say, guys, save your lunch money and be willing to spend a little bit on the front end. Okay. To get a quality puppy from a good pairing from a reputable breeder. And, you know, it's going to be a, a, you know, a 10 to 12, 15 year commitment. So spend that money on the front end and do it. You're, you're going to want to spend the extra seven to $800 potentially to, you know, really get your, your full, uh, just, you know, to have the best, the best time with that, that dog that gives you the best overall enjoyment. That's what I was trying to say. So, so, you know, and also if you're willing to spend a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars, whatever for the right kennel and breeder, if they say, Hey, I have a waiting list for a year, seriously consider waiting. Yeah. I know when you decide that you want a dog, everybody wants the dog tomorrow. But if you took the time and energy and talked to all the numerous breeders and you just, you know that this breeder feels right, you know, don't give up on him just because it's going to be an extra six months or a year to get a dog because there's a reason why a, they have a wait list that long and B why you decided that you want a dog out of that line. 
And then also, you know, this kind of leads into our next thing. You know, the the uh, century-old uh, argument, male or female, you know, on a weight period, that can change whether you're wanting a male or female. The price can change if you're wanting a male or female. Some breeders charge more money for females. But, you know, depending on if you're wanting a male or female, say you get in line for a litter and you want a female and they pop out all males, you're waiting to the next litter. Don't just go buy the next dog on Craigslist because you want the dog tomorrow. You know, wait, you did the homework for a reason. But let's let's talk a little bit about the male or female side of things because Austin has two males and I have two females. So we're on the exact opposite side of the spectrum here. And, you know, everybody has their reasons why they wanted, you know, one or the other. What what, what made you want the males? Well, honestly, I've always grown up with male dogs. And, you know, that's that's really why I, I got Scout, uh, uh, you know, and, and he's, a, he's a male. So that's the, that's the first thing. Um, secondly... You know, this is what it is too. I didn't want to have to deal with heat cycles. Yeah. You know, my my dad always, when he would always talk about his setters, uh, when he was doing this back in the seventies and eighties, and he would talk about how they would have a heat cycle during hunting season. I don't want that, <laughs> so yeah. that's why that's one of the other reasons. You know why I, I got a male. Um, well, that that just goes into what we were talking about earlier, your lifestyle and preferences. Right, right. And, you know. There's the, no right or wrong answer to this, guys. It's it's what you feel works best for you. Right. And, you know, those are the, those are the main factors, really. Um, you know, I've since heard things about, oh, it's, it's you know, it may be easier to train a, a male versus a female or a female versus a male. You know, people have mixed opinions about all this stuff. Well, it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say trainability or bitability. You're naturally on average. There's, you know, uh, there's outliers on each side, but the trainability is going to be easier with a female because they're just going to be more that they want. Their drive is to make you happier more so than the males. It seems like on average, but the males have a higher drive period you know, I don't think there's any debate on that. On If you take your average male and your average female, your average male usually is going to have a higher drive. The question is, can you bottle that up and direct that drive? And is it going to have enough cooperation and trainability to get it to where you want to go? That's our job. It is. But, you know, if you, you know, if, if, if I, you know, I don't know everything, but, you know, if I was going to, advise somebody on this it's like hey if you want a dog that is on average easier to train and wants to make you happier on average i would say pick a female and also you can fix that heat cycle you can get them fixed and that heat cycle goes away and to be honest hey you can say the same thing about that you know what? What can you do to a to a male dog to try to get him to cooperate? We know an old school trainer that's got the answer for <laughs> everything. We had a one. We had. I came across one trainer when I first got into this, and I Nick and I had oh not God. even met yet. Yeah, and Nick this starts the, telling me a story. This is the best trainer in the South, self proclaimed. He's such a you know great trainer. His solution for absolutely every issue known to man about dogs was cut as nuts. Hey, but what happens if you train a female? Uh, sell it and get a male. <laughs> that's what he said, wasn't per, it? Yeah, that's yeah. what he said. And uh, He told me, boy, it sounds like you need to get a uh, come get a real dog for me and, and give that house dog to your wife. Yeah. Let him sleep on the couch. Yeah. Well, I mean – it's guys like that. It's the difference between old school and new school. But, you know, he's still in the old school to where he breaks dogs and we train dogs. And if you run into an issue, it's the dog's fault. Yes. You cut know, his nuts. Cut his nuts. Hey, that's it. But, I mean, if it's the dog's fault. It's it's not yeah. a trainable issue. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, that's that's the, yes. the problem with that. Yeah. 
But back to our topic, the male or female, it's really up to you. Your males are going to be a little more hard charging that, you know, uh, but we've seen outliers. We've seen females that have just as much drive, if not more. We've seen some males that, you know, only, you know, they live to serve. But on average, that's kind of what you're dealing with. And the heat cycles, it's really not that big of a deal. You've gone on a couple hunting trips with, you know, while mine or, you know, Adam's dog has been in heat. You keep them separated, you know. I'd say, you know, a lot of these female dogs, they even clean up after themselves. It's not a big deal. I mean, is it a pain? Yeah, but it's only it's only two or three weeks, you know, each season. You know, they come. Rachel comes into heat twice a year. I can sacrifice a month for it. And like I said, if it becomes that big of an issue, you can get them fixed. And a fixed female, you know, that's that's a dream hunting machine right there. You don't get the moodiness because they do get moody when they're in heat. They get a little attitude. Their demeanor completely changes. Uh, but, you know, they still work. You can still hunt them. You can still train them. You just have to keep them separated from a male. You know, if you're a responsible dog owner anyway, you, you keep them separated. And I want to stress, I mean, you guys that are listening to this probably probably are a little more well-informed. But as Nick was saying, it is not a huge issue to own a female dog that is not fixed and deal with her heat cycles. I mean, it literally, we've gone on multiple hunting trips now. I mean, we were in North Dakota, you know, we dealt with one uh, that was in heat and no big deal. I mean, they yeah. they sleep in the same room and, and literally in this other side of the kennel, you yeah. know, from, from, you know, male dogs and it's fine. It's, it's just a situation where you just got to be a responsible pet owner. Yeah. The the people that have the horror stories, oh, my dog dug out, my dog jumped the fence. It's like, yeah, okay, some of that stuff happens, and it's just like, my dog, you know, a dog will climb a 10-foot fence, I guess. But, you know, overall, if you want to keep a dog separated, you know, I, I, I like to think that the average human should be smart enough to be able to, you know, shut a door and keep them separated. But, uh, you know, hey, crap happens. <laughs> it does. Right. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, really, it's up to you. It, it, it's a choice. I don't think there's not a right or wrong answer. We've seen great dogs on both sides. But if if you're if you're leaning towards a male just because you don't want to deal with the heat cycle, it's not that big of a deal. It truly isn't. You can test the dog while they're in heat. You know, you'll run last in the in the braces and everything. It's just, you know. It's it's this biology. It's nature. It's it's easy to deal with and overcome. So don't let that deter you from getting a female, if that's what you're wanting. Uh, and then the next thing, you know, this is Austin's favorite is the looks of the dog. Oh yeah. And uh, like he was saying earlier, coming from somebody that he picked a dog purely on looks, not purely. I mean, I did check in to make sure these other dogs, the parents hunted, and it was a. You know, there was some good some good names in the line, but I mean looks was a big time factor. <laughs> big time. And you know, obviously looks come into play. You know, you don't want to have an ugly dog. You don't want other people talking trash about your dog. You want your wife to be happy with your dog or, you know, vice versa. If you're a woman getting a dog, you don't want the the husband always looking at your dog like dang. So that, you got an ugly dog. Yeah, what's wrong with that ugly dude? But uh you know, it there are a couple factors Don't that you go, go and into talk l- crap about my dog. <laughs> Old pumpkinhead, man. Those are fighting words. No, the uh there are a couple important factors to consider with looks. Okay. First and foremost, I would say coat quality, you know, weather dependent. If you're gonna be duck hunting in a in a really cold environment up north, you know, some of these short hair breeds may not may not work well. And vice versa. If you're down in the south, some of these really thick-coated, long-haired breeds may not be best for you if you're wanting to go hunt quail in, you know, end of September, October. So, you know, there are a couple things to consider on that. And also color. You know, it Austin has an almost all... all Scout is liver-owned to where he is pretty much 99% brown and dark brown. He also has a majority black German short hair. I have a majority white with liver uh, spots on her. 
my dog stays cooler. And, you know, it, it is one of those things. These dogs will heat up depending on the coat color. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you can definitely tell uh, the color greatly affects the stamina. Well, it, he, uh, Cash overheats pretty quick, you know. So, But also, the color matters as far as conditional hunting. If you're in the... Right. Uh, if you're in the duck blind, your dogs are great for camo, and mine are crap because of all the white. You you know you can get a vest or something on it, but then you go in the grouse woods. I can see my dogs, and I can't see mine at all. They're they're freaking ghosts. No, I mean so, you can't. I it's it's terrible. Yeah, that's why I throw an orange vest on. Yes. So I mean you know color does play a factor, and you can't always guarantee what kind of colors are going to pop out of some of these breeds. I mean, you know it's like uh, you know the, the small Munsterlander litter that I I got Lucy from. You know one dog was almost all white, and the other was you know dark and ticked and all that. And Lucy came out kind of a mixture of both. Uh, but you know it's just that that's really the I look at color as a functionality. You know, you don't want an ugly dog, but I would prefer a dog that works with my style of hunting and, you know, conditions. And I, that's really all I have to say about color is, you know, it matters, but then it doesn't. You just got to get what you like. I mean, the, the at the end of the day, a lot of people sit here and say that they've never seen a duck flare because of, the color of their dog that is, you know, sitting at the edge of the blind. Well, at the end of the day, what's the difference between a light-coated short hair and a yellow lab? Right. And, and so I go with what I like. I, I decided after I saw these black short hairs, my next dog, I want to get a black short hair. And so that's what I did. You know, I think they're beautiful dogs. And uh, you got to... You gotta love, you gotta love the looks of your dog, you know, and so that's that's uh, a that's a determining factor. And I will say this: even if I wasn't going to get a black short hair out of the litter that I had chosen, <laughs> I was still going to be cool with it. But let let me tell you that I was like hoping because the dad was a black short hair, you know, the sire was a black short hair. I was like, man. We might get us a black short hair out of this deal. <laughs> so well, looks matter more yeah. to Austin. You know, he's got a face only a mother can love, so he understands what it's like being an ugly duckling. I gotta make I gotta make up for it somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, bottom line is like we've already beat to you know beat the dead horse is you have to do your homework. You have to take the time to look at these pedigrees and figure out what's going to work for you and your lifestyle and the type of hunting that you're wanting to do. And, you know, it may seem a little silly doing a full hour podcast on this, but you'd be surprised how many guys that we have coming up to us asking, you know, where'd you get your dog? How'd you find that breeder? You know, there's a million questions. And if you don't know, you know, you might be like Austin driving to Alabama just for, you know, the right color short hair. Now, again, Nick, (laughs) it was not just about the color. I mean, this guy's got field trial you know, field champions in his in his bloodline, just not that first generation. You know, not not you know. So, guys, you can look on all of these uh, testing organizations' websites about you know where the sire and dam rank, what their titles are. You can see uh, placements and things like that, and that's a good place to start. You know. Uh, if you are, it, this is the other thing that a lot of people do. They say, hey, I don't want to play the field trial game. I don't want to play the hunt test game. I just want a hunting dog. You need to still look at those litters that have those hunt test and field trial backgrounds. Okay. That is going to help to ensure that you have the most success and a good place to start. Uh if you just go off Craigslist just because they say, hey, mom and dad hunt, I promise you, these puppies will hunt. We've seen that firsthand not work out. Um, so don't do it, guys. 
if you can see the dogs in person, that is the best thing you can do. Figure yes. out the litters and type of dogs that you want and call the breeder up and say, hey, can I come see these dogs? Put them down. At least, you know, even if they don't have any birds put out, you can at least see their mannerisms and, you know, characteristics around the house. And, you know, if you have kids or other dogs, you can kind of see temperament-wise what the dog's about, look, size, all that. So, you know, if if you have – if you ask a breeder – Hey, can I come see these dogs? And they they say no, you know, not without a da- you know deposit. That I will tell you, go find another breeder because that that's a little fishy right there. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you can see them in person, that's the best thing that you can do, honestly. That's right. So I think we covered quite a bit on this. Or anything yeah. else you want to hit? No, I mean, I'm sure that you know we'll come back to this and beat the horse a little bit more later on as we move on down the road yeah so uh yeah guys i mean i hope you got something out of this uh you know we, we just kind of want to give everybody a little bit of advice on you know some of our experience and and lessons learned from picking a dog and the right dog for you and Hopefully, you know, if you're interested in getting a dog, you take some advice. If there's anything that, you know, we left off of this, feel free to uh, let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. And, you know, we're always open to suggestions, uh, corrections, you know, stuff that we didn't think about. Just, you know, shoot us shoot us a message, let us know. Give us a follow on Gundog It Yourself. Uh, training methods, if you got something that, you know, we, you think it's pretty special we'd like to hear about it we're always open to learning new stuff and you know something that can help us out you know as far as what we talk about on this podcast just give us a fou- uh, shout find us follow us subscribe to this podcast and uh, yeah i hope you stick around for the next episode next week i think we're going to cover you know today we covered you're thinking about getting a dog Next week, we're going to cover, so you got a dog. What do, I, what do I do? You got a puppy. What do you do with it? You know, you just stare at it. What do you do? Drink beer with it. Well, you know. Hang out. There's worse things to do in life than, than chill with a dog, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, that, so that's, that's kind of our plan for next week. And, uh, yeah, hope to, uh, hope to see you guys later. All right, see you guys. seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.